Welcome to this episode of the National Police Association podcast number 53. Feds surging agents to Chicago and New York City freeing cop killers. From Chicago, the Tribune reports that although agents also will be sent to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and could eventually be seen in New York, Philadelphia and other locations, Trump singled out Chicago as being in the most critical need of additional resources. Perhaps no citizens have suffered more from the menace of violent crime than the wonderful people of Chicago, a city I know very well, Trump said. Attorney General William Barr said hundreds of federal agents could take part in the surge in the city, where they will be engaged in classic crime fighting such as investigating homicides, gangs, gun crime and drug trafficking organizations. The new agents will include members of the FBI, U.S. Marshal Service, the Drug Enforcement Administration and the Department of Homeland Security, among others. The president called Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot after his news conference to reiterate his plan. Lightfoot described the call as brief and straightforward in a statement, despite the rancor that has defined their social media exchanges in recent months. The mayor offered a measured response to the announcement, expressing both cautious optimism about the additional resources and skepticism about Trump's motives. She has repeatedly said the kind of force captured on camera on the streets of Portland, Oregon, is not welcome in Chicago. If those agents are here to actually work in partnership and support of gun violence and violent cases, plugging into existing infrastructure of federal agents, not trying to play police in our streets, then that's something different, Lightfoot said, but the proof is going to be in the pudding. In Chicago, we see an unprecedented rise in crime against fellow citizens, said Chad Wolf, acting secretary for the Department of Homeland Security. The Department of Homeland Security mission in Portland is to protect federal property and our law enforcement officers. In Chicago, the mission is to protect the public from violent crime on the streets. For Lightfoot, the prospect of increased federal assistance for anti-crime efforts is a thorny proposition, more federal agents could help with the city's skyrocketing violence, but the unfolding controversy in Portland and Trump's repeated harsh rhetoric towards Chicago has led to high public mistrust in the federal government, which both she and Gov. J. B. Pritzker acknowledged. We know the ATF, the FBI and the DEA are coming to and are in Chicago engaged in activities to help local law enforcement, that seems like legitimate activity to go after criminal enterprise, Pritzker said, but it's this other thing that's going on where people are wearing camouflage uniforms with no identification about who they are, claiming to be protecting federal buildings, that is not something that is acceptable in the state of Illinois or city of Chicago. The Trump announcement comes a day after a mass shooting outside a Southside funeral home in which 15 people were injured. The city has experienced one of its most violent years in recent memory, with 414 homicides through Sunday this year compared with 275 at the same time last year. Official CPD statistics show a 51% increase. Among the homicide victims discussed by Trump at the news conference was 14 year old Vernado Jones Jr who was one of four people killed in a shooting in Chicago's Englewood neighborhood on July 4, the FBI has offered a reward of up to $25,000 for information leading to the arrest of the people involved in his killing. Vernado's mother attended Trump's announcement in the East Room of the White House. Please know that all Americans mourn by your side, we will carry your son's memory, he will not be forgotten, Trump told her.
known as Operation Legend in honor of a slain four-year-old legend Talifero of Kansas City, Missouri, the Chicago mission will be overseen by John Lausch Jr., U.S., attorney for the Northern District of Illinois. Lightfoot repeatedly has made clear that most of her reassurance about Trump's plan stems from Lausch, her friend and former colleague, being in charge at the local level. Lightfoot initially threatened to sue if Trump tried to send federal agents into Chicago without her permission. She changed her tone after talking with Lausch, who assured her an influx of law enforcement would be working collaboratively with Chicago cops against violent crime, and not confronting protesters. The U.S. Marshals Service as part of the new plan will direct violent fugitive apprehension operations within Chicago to identify wanted gang members, violent criminals and firearms violators. The Department of Homeland Security is also committing at least 100 agents, already stationed in Chicago, to investigate narcotics and firearm traffickers. The federal government also will earmark over $3 million to reimburse the Chicago Police Department and City of Chicago for the work of local law enforcement on the effort. A top priority as federal prosecutors is to reduce violent crime, particularly in a large urban area like Chicago, Lausch said in a statement, We will use these new resources and every other available federal law enforcement tool to reduce the unacceptable level of violent crime in Chicago. Chicago police and other big city departments across the country regularly work with federal agencies such as the FBI, the DEA, the ATF and the U.S. Attorney's Office on investigations into drug and gun trafficking and myriad other crimes tied to violence. In Chicago, such investigations are often based in certain neighborhoods on the south and west sides, where much of the violence in the city occurs. Such partnerships over the years have been through federal programs such as Project Exile, aimed at shifting more gun prosecutions to federal judges so they can hand down stiffer penalties, and Project Safe Neighborhoods, designed to better coordinate federal resources and local intelligence on crime. The effectiveness of a law enforcement surge is far from guaranteed, particularly in Chicago where increased police staffing has done little to stem the violent tide in recent years. Barr blamed the most recent uptick on the extreme reaction to George Floyd's killing at the hands of Minneapolis police, while Trump pointed the finger at his political adversaries. Trump, at one point, said there's been a radical movement calling for U.S. cities to abolish and defund police departments, no Chicago mayor in the past 30 years has ever made such a proposal and, in fact, many have launched their own surges in an effort to beat back crime. For decades, Politicians running many of our major cities have put the interests of criminals above the rights of abiding citizens, Trump said, these same politicians have embraced the far-left movement to break up our police departments, causing violent crime to spiral, and I mean, spiral, seriously out of control. The verbal jabs continued later in the afternoon, when Trump was asked about Lightfoot's comments during a COVID-19 briefing. After insisting his administration has done some amazing things during the pandemic, Trump said he was targeting cities with radical left mayors and specifically called out Lightfoot, who sent the president a letter raising concerns about federal officers being sent to Chicago and directing him to use his authority to enact gun control measures. Chicago is a disaster, the mayor is saying, don't come in, Trump said, before adding, I assume she's saying that for political reasons, she's a Democrat. She's making a big mistake, people are dying.
Lightfoot shrugged off Trump's criticism, calling his announcement alongside victims' families a political stunt, citing Trump's penchant for attacking female mayors. She accused him of trying to divert attention away from his handling of the pandemic. If he cared about cities, if he cared about Chicago, there are meaningful ways that the president could actually help, Lightfoot said. Instead, it's denigrate, divide and disparage, that's not leadership. From New York, the chief leader reports that two men convicted of murder for the killing of police officers decades ago will be released on parole in the coming weeks, moves condemned by the Police Benevolent Association and the officers' families. The convicted murderers of police officers Michael Russell and Robert Sorrentino are the latest among more than a dozen cop killers granted release in recent years by the state's parole board, with the Police Benevolent Association saying it represents an alarming and incomprehensible trend. According to the union, the impending releases of Sergio Voy, who shot and killed Officer Russell and a local businessman in 1979, and Russell Carroll, among five men convicted of killing Officer Sorrentino in 1980, will be the third and fourth persons convicted of killing cops to be released in the last three months and the 13th and 14th since April 2018. The Police Benevolent Association said the releases were especially disturbing given the recent spike in murders and shootings citywide, and as police officers themselves are being subjected to life-threatening and unpunished assaults. Patrick J. Lynch the Police Benevolent Association president, said the releases of killers who undermine the very fabric of a civilized society were emblematic of Albany's pro-criminal agenda. This violates everything law-abiding citizens stand for, keeping our streets safe, respecting the sacrifice of police families, and sending a strong message to criminals that killing police officers will never be tolerated, he said. A statement from the State Department of Corrections and Community Supervision did not directly respond to Mr. Lynch's criticism, but emphasized the parole board's independence, whose members must follow statutory requirements which take into consideration many factors, including statements made by victims and victims' families, if any, as well as an individual's criminal history, institutional accomplishments, potential to successfully reintegrate into the community and perceived danger to public safety. The board also considers recommendations regarding potential release from district attorneys, the sentencing judge and defense attorneys. The department did not immediately release narratives of the parole board's decisions. Mr. Carroll, now 66, could be released from Clinton Correctional Facility as early as July 28. Although not the man who shot Officer Sorrentino, he was convicted of second-degree murder, robbery, weapons possession and other charges, and sentenced to 25 years to life, the others convicted for the officer's killing, including the trigger man, died in prison. After going through the agony of nine parole hearings over the years, we now have to learn this, Officer Sorrentino's sister Edna Doyle said in a statement provided by the Police Benevolent Association, I guess they feel that our suffering is over, but we think of Bob every day. There will be no parole for him and no relief for his family. Officer Russell's killer, Mr. Voye, 59, is set to be released from Fishkill Correctional Facility by the end of August. He was convicted in 1981 of second-degree murder for killing the businessman, Edward Brugman, and a first-degree manslaughter for killing Officer Russell, and sentenced to 32 years to life. Mr. Voye, who was 18 at the time, gunned down Officer Russell and Mr. 
Brugman in East New York during a softball game between officers from the 75th Precinct and residents, the teen and two others had intruded on the game, and, when told to get off the field by Mr. Brugman, Mr. Voye pulled out a revolver and shot him, Officer Russell, a 30-year-old married father of two young children, and other officers chased Mr. Voye, who shot and killed the officer after being cornered at the rear of a house on Essex Street. In a statement provided by the Police Benevolent Association, the officer's widow, Grace Russell, said she learned of her husband's killer's imminent release just this month. I just don't understand it, she said, how is it that someone can be heartless enough to murder two unarmed people and then later be able to go back into society and resume a life of freedom, a life he callously took from two others? What's the rationale? Where is the justice? The two impending parolees are among dozens who remain in prison convicted for the killings of officers between 1972 and 1995, the period between the abolition of the death penalty in New York State in 1972 and the imposition of life without parole in 1995, now the usual sentence for convicted cop killers. This news brought to you by the National Police Association. To learn more about how you can help law enforcement accomplish its goals visit nationalpolice.org.